So usually these episodes begin with a hook, some backstory about the song that's going to be dissected, a few compelling facts that grab your attention and get you interested enough to stick around after the ad break. And I had one of those intros written for Pusha T and Kendrick Lamar's Nostalgia. I talked about how back in 2013, both artists were still hungry to prove themselves, how Push was cementing himself as a solo artist after his duo Clips went on hiatus, how Kendrick was coming off 2012's Good Kid Mad City and chasing the best rapper alive heavyweight belt. But I ended up scrapping that intro, because after analyzing every reference, entendre, and punchline in Nostalgia, I can't help but to begin this episode by simply saying that I now believe Nostalgia is one of the best rap songs of all time, is one of the best songs across all genres of the past decade, and contains one of the single greatest lyrical moments in music history. And I hope by the end of this episode, you'll understand why. From Spotify, this is Dissect, long-form musical analysis broken into short, digestible episodes. For the second track in our Lyrical Masters mixtape, we're dissecting Pusha T's 2013 track, Nostalgia, featuring Kendrick Lamar. I'm your host, Cole Kushner. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. Brake kits, LED lights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Nostalgia appears on Pusha T's debut solo album, 2013's My Name Is My Name, a title that references a scene from HBO's The Wire. Let them know Marlo step to any motherfucker, Omar, Barksdale, whoever. My name is my name. A microcosm of America's so-called war on drugs, The Wire portrays the Baltimore drug scene from two different perspectives, the drug dealers and law enforcement. Similarly, Nostalgia also portrays the war on drugs from two different perspectives, the drug dealer and the drug users. In verse 1, Pusha T details his time as a dealer in the streets of Virginia, while verse 2 finds Kendrick Lamar describing the drug users and his family he witnessed as a child in Compton, California. Regarding the track's concept, Push told Hip Hop DX, quote, I speak about the harsh realities of street life, but there's a lot of glitz and glamour that comes along with it. If you just look at it at face value, you might think it sounds a bit like he's glorifying street life. But when you get tuned into the record, you realize that you get both sides of it. We gave two perspectives on the song. Kendrick was looking from the inside of his home and how his family's crusade through the drug epidemic affected him. I was giving you the junior high, high school start, showing you what it was and where I was at, unquote. This focus on America's crack epidemic through the eyes of two young boys is reflected in the track's title, Nostalgia, a hybrid of the word nose, an allusion to snorting cocaine, and nostalgia, the sentimental longing or memory of the past. The track begins establishing its sample-based instrumental, produced by Knotts and Kanye West. The main sample used for this beat comes from the opening moments of Bobby Bland's 1973 song, I Don't Want to Be Right. The opening guitar string bend is pitched up and sped up to create this loop. While this loop is the song's musical centerpiece, bass is added to provide some low end and sparse percussion elements add some rhythmic interest. 
college years of selling Johnson and Johnson. I started out as a baby face monster. No wonder it's diaper rash on my conscience. My teeth and ring was numb by that nonsense. Jim Star raising. Push begins his verse immediately establishing the song's central theme, rapping 20 plus years of selling Johnson and Johnson. In the same way the title Nostalgia bonds drugs with childhood memories, Push cleverly references baby powder made by Johnson & Johnson to evoke youth while doubling as an allusion to powder cocaine, which resembles white baby powder. Baby powder is also a talcum-based product, and talcum powder can be used as a cutting agent when making crack cocaine. About this opening line, Push said, quote, I'm talking about my time being in the streets, starting in the seventh grade. This gives us context around his 20-plus years of selling dope. At the time of writing Nostalgia in 2013, Push was 36 years old. If he began selling drugs at age 13 and never stopped, that would put him at 23 or 20 plus years of selling. At first, this might seem like a fabrication of the length of time Push sold drugs, but that would be underestimating the complexity of his bars, because Push is almost certainly alluding to the fact that he now sells a different kind of dope, dope rhymes. By associating cocaine with Johnson & Johnson, Push might also be drawing a parallel to street drug dealers and pharmaceutical corporations. Both industries are driven by profit, prioritizing their own bottom line over their consumers. In other words, corporate America is a drug dealer too. Push continues his verse, I started out as a baby-faced monster. No wonder there's diaper rash on my conscience. Both baby-faced and diaper rash continue the motif of infancy and youth being juxtaposed with the darker images of a monster and a damaged psyche. The progression from starting out a baby-faced monster or drug dealer and then relating that to his now-inflamed conscious alludes to remorse he now feels about selling drugs that harmed his community. On his 2011 song, Changing of the Guards, Push expressed this kind of remorse much more transparently. God in heaven knows what I feel inside Responsible for all this inner city genocide Push here raps, God in heaven knows what I feel inside Responsible for all this inner city genocide these kinds of remorseful sentiments call back to Push's comments about listeners confusing his raps as exclusively glorifying street life, backing up his claim that he offers both sides of it, the bravado of the hustler, but also the guilt over the harm his products cause. In Nostalgia, Pusha contextualizes this remorseful sentiment with the following line, My teething ring was numb by that nonsense. Continuing the infancy motif, he describes himself as a baby gnawing on a teething ring laced with cocaine, playing on the fact that cocaine is a topical anesthetic. But the line also implies his numbness to his environment as a child and the communal consequences of his teenage drug dealing. In reference to this line, Push said, quote, Everything that I was around, my influences and my peers, everything that I had seen, from house to outside the house, family, I was numb. At a young age, you don't even have that feeling of like, oh, this is super wrong, or that you're hurting people. I would think that everybody is like that at 13 years old. My teeth and ring was numb by that nonsense. Jim Star, razor, and a dinner plate. Arm and hammer and a mason jar. That's my dinner date. Then crack the window in the kitchen, let it ventilate. Cause I let it sizzle on the stove like a minute steak. Nigga, I was cracking the school zone. Two beepers on me, start a jacket that was two-tone. Four lockers, four different bitches got their mule on. Black Ferris Bueller cutting school with his jewels on. Couldn't do wrong with a chest full of chains. In arm full of watches. The vivid imagery of Push's childhood continues, Gemstar, razor, and a dinner plate, arm and hammer, and a mason jar, that's my dinner date. Here Push is citing some of the fundamental tools used to convert cocaine into crack. The first step is heating powder cocaine, water, and baking soda, hence the reference to arm and hammer brand baking soda. This results in freebase cocaine, which is often transferred from a spoon onto a ceramic plate, explaining Push's dinner plate reference. At this point, a non-serrated knife is run back and forth over the freebase, converting it from an oily, yellowish gold clump into a white rock. Then one uses a sharp razor blade to scrape up the white freebase into a pile, which explains Push's reference to a Gem Blue Star brand razor blade. Next, the freebase pile is poured into a drinking glass or mason jar with fresh cold water and stirred to dissolve impurities, hence the mason jar nod. Given all the infant and childhood references that come before these two lines, Push is playing with the idea that these drug-making tools were his toys growing up as a babyface monster. At the same time, by saying that's my dinner date, Push concocts an image of himself as a teenager cooking crack at the dinner table rather than taking a girl out on a dinner date. Either that, or he's playing with the idea that selling drugs was how he ate, how he made his money. He continues the analogy, then crack the window in the kitchen, let it ventilate, because I let it sizzle on the stove like a minute steak. 
First, we notice the clever wordplay in using crack to refer to opening a window while cooking crack, presumably to air out the potent fumes accumulated during the process. Cooking a minute steak on the stove is used as a simile for cooking crack on the stove. As contrary to what its name implies, crack does not crackle when cooking, it sizzles. Bush also said he specifically used this reference because he used to eat cheap Murray's box steaks as an after-school snack, which maintains the nostalgia motif. Push continues, I was crack in the school zone, two beepers on me, starter jacket that was two-toned. This describes Push in junior high and high school, once again playing with the word crack, this time to refer to himself as cool while also implying that he was literally selling crack in a school zone, which carries with it heavier penalties if caught. As a drug dealer walking the halls of a high school, there's also the possibility he's calling himself a crack or blemish in the system. He then makes a reference to the nostalgia-rich starter brand sports jackets that were extremely trendy in the early 90s. Specifically, Push wore a New York Giants starter jacket, which he made it a point to clarify on Genius.com. The reference to beepers or pagers continues the 90s-era nostalgia, and having multiple beepers was common for drug dealers at this time. In fact, in 1986, an L.A. district attorney said, quote, Beepers are the single most common tool of the drug trade as it allowed drug dealers to stay mobile using public telephones, keeping them a step ahead of police or rivals who might be hunting them. We also recognize Push says two twos in this line, two beepers and a two-tone jacket. Push plays with the sum of these twos in the next line, rapping, four lockers, four different bitches got their mule on. Black Ferris Bueller cutting school with his jewels on. Couldn't do wrong with a chest full of chains and an arm full of watches. We get the feeling Push felt invincible walking the hallways of his high school flaunting excessive amounts of jewelry bought with drug money. The reference to 1986's Ferris Bueller's Day Off adds to the descriptively 80s, early 90s time capsule while also playing with the fact that the movie centers on its main character skipping school for a day, which Push did to sell drugs. It used to be times where I would lie to my parents and be like, yo, I got detention after school. And I really had detention. And really going, you know, to the next neighborhood and doing my thing. Oh man, I'm probably ninth grade, 15. But this is, you know, this is just where I was at. And therefore I wouldn't go back home from school. I would go straight from school, which means I had to come to school loaded. You know what I'm saying? Loaded and, and, and ready to do whatever I gotta do. For example, if my, you know, fourth period was in Brown Hall, but my locker was in the green hall. I probably had a locker in Brown Hall just for when I came over that way, hit the locker, get that book out, so I don't gotta keep lugging. But, you know, in a street sense, four different lockers was, you know, where you would keep and, and stash everything so I wouldn't be walking around all day with it. What I sell for pain in the hood, I'm a doctor. Chivago, try to fight the urge like Ivan Drago. If he dies, he dies like Doughboy to Trey. If he rides, he rides, throwing punches in his room. If he cries, he cries. We don't drink away the pain. When a nigga die, we add a link to the chain. Inscribe a nigga name in your flesh. We playing on a higher game of chess. Once you delegate his bills, who gon' fuck his bitch the best? A million megapixels of the Push continues, what I sell for pain in the hood, I'm a doctor. He once again offers a dualistic premise here. On one hand, Push naming himself the esteemed title of doctor is a boast about his drug dealing. But rather than dealing prescription drugs like an actual doctor, he's dealing street drugs. On the other hand, Push is acknowledging the suffering in drug and poverty-ridden neighborhoods, where cheap street drugs like crack cocaine offer a tempting escape. He then starts the next line saying, Zavago, which combined with the previous line creates Dr. Zavago, referring to the 1965 hit film by the same name. Dr. Savago was both a poet and a physician that treated frontline soldiers in World War I. Like Savago, Push is a poet and a doctor, except his poetry is rap and he treats those suffering on the front line of the streets. In this way, Push is continuing the 20 plus years of selling motif of the opening line, as he once treated his patients with dope or drugs, and now he treats them with his dope poetry, his raps. But the reference cuts even deeper when we realize that the film Dr. Savago is infamously long with a running time of over three hours. It's for this reason that in the film True Romance, written by Quentin Tarantino, an incredibly large stash of cocaine is referred to by the codename Dr. Savago. And so do you realize what Push just did here? He found a single reference, Dr. Savago, that represents his rapping, his hood doctor status, and his association with cocaine. The kicker is that True Romance was released in 1993, continuing the mid-80s, early 90s nostalgia motif. Also, Dr. Zavago is a Soviet-Russian character, which links to the next line, tried to fight the urge like Ivan Drago, 
who was a Soviet-Russian boxer portrayed in the film Rocky IV from 1985, again continuing the nostalgia motif. Pushthin saying, if he dies, he dies, is a direct quote of Ivan Drago after he brutally defeats Apollo Creed in a match, resulting in Apollo's death. If he dies, he dies. Push embodies this remorseless attitude when dealing in the streets, feigning indifference to the harm his drugs cause. He then continues by linking the phrasing, if he dies, he dies, to another movie reference rapping, like Doughboy to Trey, if he rides, he rides. This cites yet another early 90s movie, Boys in the Hood. Specifically, it refers to a scene in which the characters Doughboy and Trey are riding in a car on their way to avenge their brother Ricky's murder. But Trey backs out at the last minute, asking to be let out of the car, signaling his discomfort with truly living the street life. Meanwhile, Doughboy goes on to murder Ricky's killer, and as a result, Doughboy is murdered two weeks later while Trey goes on to college. The next line, throwing punches in his room, if he cries, he cries, extends the Boys in the Hood reference. This time it cites the scene in which Trey is harassed by a police officer who holds a gun to Trey's neck while tears fall from Trey's eyes. He then goes to his girlfriend's house and shadow boxes, or as Push says, throws punches in the room while talking about what he would have done to the police officer. He then breaks down crying when he realizes he's powerless against the police. Like nostalgia as a whole, these scenes from Boys in the Hood offer two contrasting perspectives on street life. Doughboy embraces the life to the fullest, while Trey, having the benefit of a father figure, finds a way out. In Push's portrayal of his young drug-dealing persona, he likens himself to Doughboy, someone who is loyal to the game and follows the codes of the street, while he almost mocks Trey in the tears he cries. But anyone who's seen Boys in the Hood understands that, in the end, Doughboy dies tragically young, an all-too-common fate for those entrapped in street life. And Trey's character offers a more transparent view of the pain, stress, and anxiety endured by those living this life, even when survival demands that one doesn't always show their emotions. This idea gets us into the next few lines. We don't drink away the pain. When an N-word die, we add a link to the chain. Inscribe an N-word name in your flesh. The phrase, we don't drink away the pain, is likely a reference to the mob deep song, Drink Away the Pain. I think the whole world's going insane. I fill my brain up with Zany and drink away the pain. I think the whole world's going insane. I fill my mind up with liquor and drink away the pain. Drink Away the Pain was released in 1995, adding to the growing list of 80s and 90s references. Push would have been a senior in high school when the song dropped, which aligns with his time as a dealer. But beyond this reference, it appears these lines mirror Doughboy's mindset, as Push doesn't look to drown his sorrows with alcohol when someone dies. Rather, he adds a link to his chain or gets a tattoo in honor of them, as the streets demand that you stay on point and keep moving. While at first we might assume inscribing someone's name in your flesh is referring to a tattoo, the wording of the line has us suspecting that he might mean something else, as he specifically says, we add a link to the chain, and inscribe an N-word name on your flesh. This could be implying a revenge murder, with the name of the person he murdered inscribed in his flesh to indicate the reason he was killed. This interpretation would make sense given the plot of Boys in the Hood, which is of course referenced just before these lines. Push closes out this rhyme scheme with, we playing on a higher game of chess, once you delegate his bills, who gon' fuck his bitch the best? He uses a chess analogy to describe how the order of affairs are strategically adjusted after the death of someone in the operation, like a chess piece that gets eliminated off the board. Given Push's aforementioned reference to HBO's The Wire for his album title, this chess analogy is likely a nod to one of the show's more well-known scenes that compares street life with a game of chess. See this? This the kingpin, alright? He the man. You get the other dude's king, you got the game. You trying to get your king too, so you got protected. You see this? It's the queen. She's smart, she fierce. She move any way she want, as far as she want. And she is the go-get-shit-done piece. Push also gave a direct explanation of these bars in conversation with Hip Hop DX. You know, that's, that's just a, another brutally honest truth about the culture. I see it happen all the time. Guys go to jail. Somebody dies, you know, everybody's mourning. And you make sure that, okay, you know, the kids are looked after or the girlfriend or the wife or whatever. She may need uh, some money. You make sure she gets it, whatever. But once we delegate the bills, all right, now who, about, who, gonna, who gonna fuck her? You know, <laughs> which is, 
It's just real. Who gon' fuck his bitch the best? A million megapixels of the Pyrex. Started on the scale, did you tell my only time X? Nigga, this is timeless. Simply cause it's honest. Pure as the fumes that be fucking with my sinus. Nigga, this is Simon. Says Simon. Red. Blood on your diamond till you dying. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Push continues a million megapixels of the Pyrex. Pyrex is a brand of borosilicate oven-safe glassware that can withstand drastic temperature increases without shattering. Glass Pyrex measuring cups thus became a popular tool for cooking crack. In this way, a million megapixels seems to play on the measurement of milliliters. But megapixels refers to graphic resolution, so Push is saying that his cocaine is pure, its top quality, extremely clear. He could also be referring to his raps, as he vividly portrays his crack-dealing days with picture-perfect clarity. He then says, started on the scale, digital, my only Timex. This refers to a digital scale used to weigh cocaine, which continues the digital motif of the previous megapixel reference. With Timex being a non-luxury brand, Push implies his wrist full of watches doesn't include the inferior brands like Timex. He could also be playing with the idea of not having time, or not being confined by it, as he continues, this is timeless, simply because it's honest, pure as the fumes that be fucking with my sinus. In a single bar, Push cuts to the heart of what makes infallible art, one's individual story or perspective told honestly and transparently. He relates this kind of pure storytelling to the purity of his cocaine, as he once again equates his dope to his dope raps. We also recognize that he's still using vernacular that relates to childhood, time, and nostalgia, as we think of the purity of childhood and realize that Push's adolescence contain a secondary definition of pure, referring to the dope he cooked as an underage high schooler. Finally, Push closes out his verse, This is Simon Says, Simon Red, Blood on your diamonds till you're dying, dead. First, we have to acknowledge the tight rhyme schemes here, as Says rhymes with red, while Simon rhymes with diamond and dying. The kicker is that the following punctuation, dead, rhymes with red and says, while also taking dying from the active present tense state to the final state, as if Push is watching over someone as they take their last breath, witnessing the change from dying to dead. Thematically, Simon Says refers to the children's game in which one player assumes the role of Simon and issues commands to the rest of the players, who must follow the commands or be eliminated. Of course, this game punctuates the consistent childhood nostalgia motif, and we assume Push is proclaiming himself Simon, the one strategically orchestrating the higher game of chess in the streets. The following, Simon Red, is clever on a number of levels. First, Push uses Red to play on the electronic version of Simon Says that was a cultural staple beginning in the early 80s. In this version of the game, one must repeat a sequence of colors using four electronic buttons, one of those colors being red. We also recognize that we can hear the red as an R-E-A-D, which motivically ties to says. But more importantly, Simon is the nickname of West Coast rap mogul Suge Knight, the former CEO of Death Row Records that defined much of hip-hop in the mid-90s. The addition of red alludes to the fact Suge Knight was associated with LA's Pyru Blood Gang, whose color is red. Knight is currently in prison after pleading guilty to voluntary manslaughter, and is thought by some to have been involved in orchestrating the murder of Biggie Smalls. His alleged tactics of violence and intimidation have made him one of hip-hop's most notorious figures, which leads to the concluding phrase, blood on your diamonds till you dying dead. This plays on the idea of blood diamonds, the name for diamonds mined in a war zone by workers who may be abused, raped, enslaved, or even murdered. It also plays on the fact Suge Knight was affiliated with the Blood Gang and has been suspected of orchestrating violent crimes. When we take these last two bars as a whole, we find that Push is continuing to develop the game motif that began with his chess reference. In this case, when Simon says red, or the kingpin commands a killing, the order is followed. Push or one of his associates will stand over you as you bleed out onto your rocks of crack cocaine, your now bloody diamonds. In this way, Push is likening the streets to those blood diamond war zones where a different kind of diamond, crack rocks, are the centerpiece of a corrupt system of profit, territorial violence, and murder. Finally, seeing how this is Push's last bar, the reference to Compton native Suge Knight makes for the perfect pass to the Compton native Kendrick Lamar in his verse, a verse we'll dissect right after the break. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Look to your left, look to your right. Yep, no one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED lights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And 1, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Ugg. Y'all know Ugg is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at Ugg.com. Welcome back to Dissect. Before the break, we heard Pusha T's extended verse that fused the nostalgia of his youth with his memories of his time as a drug dealer. While nostalgia doesn't contain a hook, we do get a four-bar instrumental break where we hear two new samples introduced. The first sample we hear during this passage is taken from Boogie Down Productions' 1987 track, The Bridge is Over with KRS-One. We also hear a second sample from The Bridge is Over, pulled from the first line of KRS-One's second verse. Bridge is Over is a classic diss song, part of a larger hip-hop rivalry known as the Bridge Wars during the late 80s and early 90s. The conflict was centered on a dispute over the true birthplace of hip-hop, and originally involved South Bronx's Boogie Down Productions, headed by KRS-One, who beefed with Marley Marl's Juice Crew from Queensbridge. The Bridge Wars is regarded as one of the most important and influential events in hip-hop, laying the foundation for battle rap feuds to play out publicly through an exchange of diss songs. Following Push's verse, the inclusion of one of hip-hop's most iconic songs amplifies the nostalgia-heavy theme of the track. Not only are we getting mental images provided by Push's vivid descriptions of the 80s and 90s, we're now hearing the actual sounds of that era as well. The words we hear, better change what comes out your speakers, is a command to listen to doper music, specifically this dope track you're currently listening to. Beyond this, we might wonder if the implicit bridge theme was motivically appealing to Push and producers Knotts and Kanye. With Push being from Virginia and Kendrick hailing from Compton, the two together on the track represent a bridge between the East and West Coasts. Meanwhile, their 10-year difference in age represents a bridge from one generation to the next, something Push highlighted when asked why he chose Kendrick to feature on the track. Kendrick is somebody that I admire in a sense of, you know, uh, new school, new era, but rhymes from an old school perspective and plays by old school rules of rhyme. Not a bar goes wasted. I was like, well, if I'm gonna have features on my album, I want them to be rhymers. I want it to be rhymers or people who I feel like the fans want to hear me with. You wanna see a dead body? Instrumentals from my mama's Christmas party. Troubles on my mind. I still smell crime. My little brother crying. Smokers repeatedly bind. My Sega Genesis, either that or my auntie was still in it. Hit the pipe and start feeling it. Ooh, we cut me some slack. We never did that. This was different. Jeez Louise, please help me relax. Quantum physics could never show. With the beat suddenly cut off, Kendrick enters the track with a hauntingly grim tone, rapping, You want to see a dead body. Just as Push's final line passed the track to Kendrick with a Compton reference, Kendrick accepts the pass with his own reference to Push's final line about watching someone bleed out until they're dead, a dead body. 
The line also calls back to Push's Boys in the Hood reference, citing an early scene in the film where the young elementary school versions of Trey, Doughboy, and Ricky are walking on train tracks with their friend Chris. Y'all want to see a dead body? Yeah. Trey's daddy blasted at somebody last night. Really? What kind of gun your daddy got? I think it's a 357 Magnum. Really? I got a deuce deuce. My brother gave it to me before he went into county jail. Got it under my bed. You want to see? It's loaded too. As we just heard, these 10-year-old boys are already familiar with the make and model of guns, and one boy even has a loaded gun under his bed. The dead body they end up observing is a black man with a gunshot wound in his chest lying near some bushes next to the train tracks. The young boys are disgusted at the sight and smell, but are soon distracted by a group of teenagers who approach them to steal their football. These teenagers are not concerned or affected by the dead body at all, symbolizing the regularity of death in their neighborhood and the numbness they have developed as a result. It would seem it's only a matter of time until the young 10-year-old boys also develop a similar numbness or even end up a dead body lying in the streets themselves. Now, Kendrick's opening quote of this scene is brilliant in a few ways. Recall that Push's Boys in the Hood reference was to the high school version of the boys, which aligned with his recollections as a high school drug dealer. He also identified with Doughboy, the more rugged boy who embraced street life. By citing the younger 10-year-old versions of the boys, Kendrick immediately establishes the age difference between him and Push, as Kendrick will be taking on a prepubescent perspective like those younger versions of Trey, Doughboy, and Ricky. In fact, later in the verse, Kendrick will specifically describe himself being 10 years old, aligning precisely with the age of the kids in the scene. Also, where Push makes clear his innocence had been far from lost by the time he was in high school, Kendrick will be sharing the time in which his innocence was actively being eroded by the things he witnessed around him, just like the kids seeing a dead body and getting their football stolen. Indeed, the similarities between young Kendrick and these kids are plentiful. Kendrick witnessed his second murder at the age of eight, and he also grew up around guns, telling the Guardian, quote, It was normal to me, guns in the house. My parents kept them away from me, though. They were smart enough to do that, but I seen it, unquote. Kendrick taking the opportunity to explore childhood memories isn't uncommon for him. His debut studio album, Good Kid, Mad City, famously tells the story of one pivotal day in his life as a high school kid in Compton. He's also said recollecting on his adolescence is something he does often, telling MTV, quote, I always try to go back to how I used to feel when I was seven years old or six years old. For me, it was like the wonder years. I always try to go back to them days. As a kid, I was always just looking at adults and trying to figure them out. A lot of my memories come from trying to figure out what adults were doing, unquote. We observe this quality in Kendrick's following line, instrumentals for my mama's Christmas party. Here we get a brief description of Kendrick's memories of his parents' house parties, which seemed like a common occurrence during his youth. Kendrick's mom told Rolling Stone that Kendrick would often sneak into the living room during their house parties, saying, quote, I'd catch him in the middle of the dance floor with his shirt off, like, what the, get back in that room. Along with this image of Kendrick's childhood, we also recognize the wordplay of the line. Instrumentals allude to the music being played at these parties, but they're also what rappers rhyme over. So when taken in tandem with the first line about a dead body, Kendrick is saying he bodies or kills the track. Kendrick then continues by saying, Troubles on my mind. On first blush, this seems to be a nod to Pusha T song of the same name from 2011. On one level, Kendrick quoting Push pays homage to the fact he's sharing the track with him, while also describing the mind of the classic rebellious child getting into trouble, like Kendrick sneaking into his mom's parties. But the reference cuts deeper in two ways. First, we recognize that Kendrick blurs his pronunciation of trouble to also sound like treble, the word that describes the upper half of the instrumental tonal range, linking back to the previous line about hearing instrumentals in his house. In other words, he's had music on his mind since he was young. And this connection clues us into the deeper layer of the line, which is a nod to the source material that Pusha T was quoting with Trouble on My Mind, the iconic opening line of Public Enemy's 1990 track, Welcome to the Terror Dome. I got so much trouble on my mind, refuse to lose. Here's your ticket, Here the drama get wicked, the clue to you to push the back. According to rapper Chuck D, Welcome to the Terror Dome was, quote, a black male correspondence view of how we looked at 1989. He also said, quote, Welcome to the Terror Dome means the 1990s are coming. If we as a people do the right thing, we'll be all right. 
If we do the wrong thing, the black situation is out of here at the end of the decade. The Terror Dome is the 1990s, unquote. With this in mind, Kendrick's quote of the iconic opening line of Welcome to the Terror Dome aligns perfectly with this portrait of Compton in the 1990s as seen through the eyes of a child. And with Public Enemy being one of the biggest hip-hop acts during this time, Welcome to the Terror Dome is the kind of song he'd hear playing at his parents' house parties in the 1990s. And so let's just recap what Kendrick just accomplished in a single line here. He somehow found a reference that described the troubled mind of a youth in Compton, contained treble wordplay with his previous line, nodded to push a T on his own track, nodded to a classic 90s hip-hop track that portrays the black experience during the very time he's describing in his verse, while also being the exact kind of song that would be playing at his parents' house parties. And this is just the third line of the verse. Next, Kendrick says, I still smell crime. The still in this line implies present tense, that today he can still smell the crime he witnessed during his childhood. On one hand, this plays with the song's title, Nostalgia, as Kendrick intertwines memory with smells, which of course are sensed through the nose. This makes sense given that numerous studies have shown how odors and powerful memories are closely linked. But like we observed throughout Push's verse, Kendrick's reference is tinged with tragedy, as we hope a vivid childhood memory triggered by a smell would be a pleasant one, but for Kendrick, it's witnessing crime. The next line, my little brother crying, continues the portrait of his household. Kendrick was an only child until he was seven, so hearing a baby crying aligns with the timeline of the song. The vivid imagery continues, Smoker is repeatedly buying my Sega Genesis, either that or my auntie was stealing it. The game console Sega Genesis was released in 1989 and was a cultural staple throughout the 1990s, so the reference continues the nostalgia motif. But rather than fond memories of actually playing the console as a child, Kendrick remembers the cycle of theft and repurchasing his Genesis underwent. His aunt was stealing it to sell for crack money, while smokers repeatedly buying the Genesis seems to imply that someone was rebuying it with money made through selling drugs. This likely points to Kendrick's father, who Kendrick suspected to be working in the streets. He then describes his drug-addicted aunt smoking crack, saying, Hit the pipe and start feeling it. Ooh-wee, cut me some slack. Weed never did that. This was different. Jeez Louise, please help me relax. This seems to relate the exponential high of hitting a crack pipe as compared to the more mellow high of smoking weed. Because crack is rapidly absorbed into the bloodstream, the effects are instantaneous, an intense rush of euphoria. But the effect wears off quickly, which can lead to a dangerous cycle of addiction. The phrases, cut me some slack and please help me relax, subtly implies the motives behind such drug use, an escape from the stresses and anxieties of living in environments like Compton. And in the same way Pusha said crack the window to allude to him cooking crack, we also recognize that cut me some slack plays on the idea of cutting cocaine, which is essential to making crack. Kendrick then continues his verse by comparing the complexities of his upbringing to the complexities of quantum physics, kicking off a number-space sequence of lines. Louise, please help me relax. Quantum physics could never show you the world I was in when I was 10. Back when nine ounces had got you 10. And nine times out of 10, niggas don't pay attention. And when there's tension in the air, nines come with extensions. My daddy turned a quarter piece to a four and a half. Took a L, started selling Sophie's bubble bath. Broke his nails, misused in his pinky to treat his nose. Shirt buttoned open, tackle meat land on his gold. Kendrick continues rapping, quantum physics could never show you the world I was in. Quantum physics is the study of the behavior of matter and energy and attempt to explain nature, how everything works. It involves complex theories and equations developed by some of the most intelligent minds in human history. So Kendrick's saying that even this centuries-long study of the natural world could not show or explain the environment he was raised in. The only way to truly understand is to have lived it. Playing off the complex math equations involved in quantum physics, Kendrick then gives us a math equation to solve about his upbringing, stating first, when I was 10, back when 9 ounces had got you 10. He confirms the age of 10 is the perspective taken on the verse, which would make it the year 1997. He then states this was a time in which possession of 9 ounces of cocaine would land you a 10-year prison sentence. Kendrick here seems to be alluding to the consequences of the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986, part of the U.S.'s War on Drugs. A response to the explosion of crack cocaine in the early to mid-80s, this act enforced harsh minimum prison sentences for possession of cocaine, which included the infamous 100 to 1 sentence disparity between crack cocaine and powder cocaine. For example, there was a 5-year mandatory minimum sentence for possession of 5 grams of crack cocaine, which is the equivalent to just a few rocks. Meanwhile, it would take possession of 500 grams or over a pound of powder cocaine to trigger the same mandatory 5-year sentence. This Anti-Drug Abuse Act had devastating effects on the black community. 
Because crack cocaine was cheaper, easier to produce, and mostly sold in small quantities, it became widely accessible in poor urban communities like Compton. After the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, the number of black people sent to federal prisons skyrocketed, increasing by a staggering 400%. During that same period, there was almost no change in the number of white people incarcerated. The prison sentencing is actually harsher than the figures Kendrick provides. While he states 9 ounces would land you 10 years, it actually only took less than 2 ounces of crack cocaine to trigger a mandatory 10-year sentence. Meanwhile, it would take 176 ounces of powder cocaine to land 10 years. Kendrick continues the 9-10 wordplay rapping, and 9 times out of 10, N-words don't pay attention. In other words, the majority of the time, the drug dealers and users he observed in Compton didn't seem to pay attention to potential consequences like prison sentences. Dealers were more concerned with getting money to survive, and users were more concerned with escaping the pressures of survival. He then caps off the numbers wordplay with, and when it's tension in the air, nines come with extensions. Like a tension before it, notice how both tension and extensions cleverly contain the number 10. Nines here refer to 9mm guns, which can accommodate extended clips when more ammunition is needed to violently solve a conflict or release the tension in the air. Now, there's a lot more to this sequence of number-based bars, but we'll have to return to them later, as the remainder of the verse contains the necessary context that reveals the incredible depth of Kendrick's equation. And trust me, it'll be well worth the wait. Kendrick then continues the verse, My daddy turned a quarter piece to a four and a half, took an L, started selling soap fiends bubble bath, broke his nails, misusing his pinky to treat his nose. Kendrick portrays his father as both a drug dealer and a user in the scenario. A quarter piece is a quarter of a 36-ounce brick, equivalent to 9 ounces, a more subtle continuation of the 9 and 10 wordplay. This 9 ounces diminished to 4.5 ounces because his father was getting high on his own supply, as implied by his long pinky nail used to treat his nose or snort a bump of cocaine. To make up for this L or loss of product, he started selling Soap Fiend's bubble bath. Kendrick is playing on the fact that crack rocks resemble soap, but bubble bath specifically implies bath salts, which have been used in place of cocaine when making fake crack rocks. So the implication is that in order to make up for the cocaine he snorted, Kendrick's father started selling fake crack made with bath salts. Following the line about using his pinky to treat his nose, Kendrick raps, shirt button open, taco meat laying on his gold. Taco meat is slang for chest hair, so we get an image of his father sitting down wearing an unbuttoned shirt exposing his gold necklaces draped over his chest hair. Given the reference to snorting cocaine just before this line, it seems his dad is inebriated, enjoying the high of cocaine while exhibiting one of its side effects, increased body temperature and sweating. I said, Daddy, one day I'ma get you right with 36 zips. 1,000 grams of cocaine, then your name will be rich. Now you can rack it up or sell it soft as leather interior. Drop some ice cubes in it, depot on perimeters. He said, son, how come you think you'll be my connect? I said, pop, show ass is washed up with all due respect. He said, well, nigga, then show me how it all makes sense. Go figure, motherfucker, every verse is a brick. Your son, dope, nigga. Kendrick begins a conversation between him and his father, rapping, I said, Daddy, one day, I'ma get you right with 36 zips. 1,000 grams of cocaine, then your name will be rich. Calling him Daddy implies Kendrick is still a boy in this scenario, promising to get him right with 36 zips, which refers to 36 ounces or a kilo of cocaine, otherwise known as a brick. This is confirmed by Kendrick then saying 1,000 grams of cocaine, as 1,000 grams is equal to 1 kilo. He then continues, now you can rock it up or sell it soft as leather interior, drop some ice cubes in it, Debo on perimeter. With these lines, we understand that Kendrick is implying that he'll one day become his father's drug connection or supplier, providing him the coke he sells on the streets. He gives him the option to rock it up or make crack, or sell it soft as powder cocaine. Dropping ice cubes in it refers to using ice to expedite the cooling process after crack cocaine is heated. At the same time, Kendrick is also nodding to West Coast rapper and actor Ice Cube, as confirmed by Debo on Perimeter, a reference to the character Debo in the 1995 classic film Friday starring Ice Cube. Oh shit! Here come Debo, give me your stuff! Oh shit! Long for Jack and the nigga, that's all he do! Damn! Like Boys in the Hood, Friday takes place in Kendrick's hometown of Los Angeles and continues the nostalgia motif of the 90s. Debo is the film's villain, an extremely tough character that uses his size and strength to intimidate others. In other words, he's hard, slang for tough. In this way, Kendrick uses Debo to cleverly describe the hard substance that builds up around the perimeter of the glass once ice cubes are dropped into the crack mixture. 
And if that weren't a clever enough entendre, there's actually an even more impressive third layer here. NBA basketball star DeMar DeRozan's nickname is Debo, likely due to the two prominent D's that begin his first and last name. DeMar DeRozan's specialty is his elite shooting from mid-range, also called the perimeter, hence Debo on perimeter. The kicker is that, like Kendrick, DeRozan is from Compton. The two knew each other growing up and remain friends to this day. And can you guess what number DeRozan wore for the majority of his career, including the year Nostalgia was written? Number 10, adding to the ongoing 9 and 10 numbers motif. Kendrick follows this elite triple entendre by continuing the conversation between him and his father, rapping, He said, son, how come you think you'll be my connect? I said, pops, your ass is washed up, with all due respect. He said, well, N-word, then show me how it all makes sense. Kendrick's dad is confused about his son's bold claim to be his future connect or drug supplier. Washed up, of course, refers to someone past their prime, but also calls back to the soap bath salts motif a few lines back. There's also wordplay with the word sense and how it all makes sense. On one hand, Kendrick's dad is asking him to clarify what he means, but given that Kendrick's claiming that he'll make his father rich, we can also hear sense as in coins, meaning how are you going to make us all this money if you're not actually selling drugs? How is this adding up? The play then continues in the following line, where Kendrick responds, go figure, motherfucker. We recognize the joke in Kendrick calling his dad a motherfucker, as it's literally true. His dad does have sex with his mom. Go figure is a phrase used to express surprise or disbelief, but like sense, it also alludes to money, as in the figures of a sum or salary. Thus, go figure, motherfucker, is a command to his father to check the figures he presented throughout the verse, setting up the grand punchline, every verse is a brick, your son dope. Like Push in his verse, Kendrick calls himself a dope MC, equating the amount he gets paid per verse to the amount he'd make selling a brick or kilo of cocaine. In other words, Kendrick is the product, and he's moving serious weight with his dope music. This twist-ending like punchline is impeccably executed and incredibly effective, a vivid cinematic musical moment that represents the unique way rap lyricism can be utilized to tell an impactful story. But for me, what makes this punchline even more spectacular is what it represents. Because despite all the bravado and aggressiveness in Kendrick's voice, the underlying sentiment is endearing. Kendrick is essentially telling his father that he's made it, that he now makes enough money from rap to support the family, that he's transcended the circumstances of the very environment he describes in the verse. For Kendrick in 2013, this represents the fulfillment of a decades-long goal. Are you standing in line? Can you relate to my story? Can you follow my dreams and admirations that I had ever since I was 13? My mama believed in me. She let me use her van to go to the studio. Even though she know her tank is empty, that's who I do it for. My pops got a different approach. Yeah, he believed. But he always questioned when I'ma drop my debut CD. How long is go take, nigga? You still haven't ate, nigga. At 22, I had two cars in my own place, nigga. It's a sacrifice. I try to tell him. That's when he turned to BET and tell me that jealous of all these niggas getting money and they shit don't sound like shit i ain't trying to kill your confidence or forcing you to quit i just want to hear you heard yep yep that's my word this song titled wanna be heard is from 2009 when kendrick was still an unknown mixtape rapper he describes his father being impatient about his pursuit of rap stardom which kendrick first interpreted as being unsupportive of his dream but later realized his father was just frustrated that kendrick's voice wasn't being heard two years later on the 2011 mixtape section 80 Kendrick revisits the topic, envisioning a near future in which he makes enough money from music that his dad can quit his job. But anyway, this for my pops. On his lunch break, eating in that parking lot. I wanna be heard, probably thought he worked my nerves. But really, he was stressing me getting what I deserve. Somebody said my name on the radio, he ain't know I was ready for the world that minute. So the next time he roll up and drop grams in it, he probably be out of work, laid back while he smoke good, eat good, live good. Just a year after the song was released, Kendrick would drop his debut major label album, 2012's Good Kid Mad City, a massively successful record that began his reign as global rap star. Thus, by 2013's Nostalgia, Kendrick had accomplished his decade-long goal of uplifting his family out of poverty, which is emphatically symbolized through the hypothetical conversation between him and his father. And as the final lines of Kendrick's verse imply, this goal wasn't just personal, it was generational. Go figure, motherfucker. Every verse is a brick. Your son dope, nigga. Now reap what you sowed, nigga. Please reap what you sowed, nigga. I was born in 87. My granddaddy a legend. Now the same shit that y'all was smoking is my profession. Let's get it. After proclaiming his success as a rapper, Kendrick tells his father to now reap what you sowed. This well-known biblical phrase is now a common idiom to mean you get what you give, 
or that your actions dictate your consequences. Kendrick's use of the phrase is clever in that, like his motherfucker pun, telling his own father to reap what he sowed is literal. He sowed the seed in his mother to birth Kendrick, and now he gets to reap the rewards of Kendrick's success. Again, the underlying sentiment here is sweet. Kendrick is essentially crediting his father for his success. Not unlike Trey and Boys in the Hood, the fact that Kendrick had a father figure growing up when so many of his peers did not helped him to avoid certain lifestyle choices that may have been detrimental, even fatal. I was the only one in the, probably the only one in America if I would have actual active father in his life. I don't know. Well, at least in Compton. It was like Boys in the Hood. You remember Boys in the Hood? Trey and his pops? Yeah. Trey and his pops. That was, that was my pops. But my pops wasn't as righteous. My pops was still, you know what I mean, bumping his head too. But at the same time, he always had a, a, so much of a love for me. He'd give me the wisdom and the game to say, you know what, I did that, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can stop it, sometimes you couldn't because I still had my friends surrounding me in the community. And each block in Compton is a gang. You know what I'm saying? So these are the people I grew up with, these are the people that I had love for. And when you're around them, you have peer pressure, of course, as a kid. So I bumped my head a few times, but what they didn't have, what I had was somebody to say, all right, you bumped your head, now you see what happened? You're in the back of a police car. See what happened? You at the station. Nobody was telling them that. So they'll keep doing it over and over again. While Pusha T plays a different role on nostalgia, we might attribute the fact that he too was able to transcend the circumstances of his environment, due in part to having both his father and mother present in the house. When his father passed away in 2022, Push wrote a touching tribute about his influence, saying, quote, You taught me to remain poised, to always be calculated, to be prideful, and to respect the hustle and hard work, but to know the difference between the two. I am who I am because of you, and I've always been proud to be your son, unquote. Kendrick continues the familial motif as he closes out the verse. I was born in 87, my granddaddy a legend. Now the same shit that y'all were smoking is my profession. He reiterates the generational transformation of smoking dope to making dope music. He also shouts out his father's father, who he both praises as legendary while also implicating that he too was a drug user. With legend being someone who achieves lasting fame or recognition, it's possible Kendrick could be subtly referencing the opening line of his song, Swimming Pools. Faded. Now I grew around some people living their life in bottles. Granddaddy had the golden flash backstroke every day in Chicago. Some people like the- At the time of writing Nostalgia, Swimming Pools was Kendrick's biggest hit song, a song that will outlive Kendrick and his entire family, making Swimming Pools one of his dope tracks that not only made him many bricks worth of money, but also ensured that his grandfather would be remembered forever, cementing his legendary status. Thus, as we reach the conclusion of Nostalgia, we find the track appropriately ends with a generational celebration. While Kendrick's father and grandfather were hustlers that never fully transcended the streets, Kendrick's success is a transformative achievement not only for himself, but his entire bloodline, representing a seismic shift for the future generations of his family's lineage. Meanwhile, Pusha T represents the generation in between Kendrick and his father, in age, but also in the in-betweenness of being an actual drug dealer turned rap star where Kendrick's father was a dealer and not a rapper, and Kendrick was a rapper and never a dealer. Push was both, a dope dealer turned a dope rhyme dealer. Both Push and Kendrick provide their on-the-ground perspectives and memories of one of the more damaging periods of American history, the 80s and 90s war on drugs. As implied by the song's title, their nostalgia cannot be separated from the darker things they were exposed to as a child in the environments they were raised in, a tragic contrast to the standard definition of nostalgia which is typically defined by warm memories of one's adolescence. Thus, the song's celebratory final note is an incredibly fitting way to end nostalgia, as Push and Kendrick's transcendence of their environment ensures their children and their children's children will not experience the same kind of tainted childhood they did. Rather, their nostalgia will be as pure as the cocaine once cooked and sold by Pusha T. Oh, but there is just one more thing. That thing about all those numbers Kendrick laid out in the middle of his verse. Yeah, I didn't forget about those. And now that we've heard the song in its entirety, we can now revisit Kendrick's claim that quantum physics could never show us the world he was in. Quantum physics could never show you the world I was in when I was 10. Back when nine ounces had got you 10. And nine times out of 10, niggas don't pay attention. And when there's tension in the air, nines come with extensions. My daddy As we already discussed, this sequence of lines plays with the numbers 9 and 10. Specifically, if we count how many of each number Kendrick used, 
we find there are three nines and six tens, which includes the tens heard in the words attention, tension, and extensions. Given that Kendrick prefaced these numbers with a reference to the complex equations associated with quantum physics, we should suspect that he chose them for a reason. So let's find the sum of these numbers by adding them together. Three nines equals 27, while six tens equals 60. Add 27 and 60 together and we get 87. The very birth year Kendrick shouts out directly after revealing the verse's dramatic twist. I was born in 87, my granddaddy a legend. Now so this dramatic end of the verse is actually even more dramatic when we realize that Kendrick's birth year pays off on the equation set up near the beginning of the verse while also tying in perfectly with the song's nostalgia motif. With this in mind, let's continue to look at those 9s and 10s. Because out of all the numbers he could have used, Kendrick specifically chose 9s and 10s to add up to 87. Why? Well, it might have to do with the fact that 9 plus 10 is 19, which when combined with the sum of the numbers we just calculated, completes the birth year in full. 1987. With this connection, Kendrick has perhaps reached an algebraic level of mathematics, but he claimed quantum physics, so let's keep digging. Because let's think about the number of numbers he used. Three nines and six tens. Three and six, or 36. And why is this significant? Kendrick's claim to be his father's drug connection began with these lines, as 36 zips is slang for 36 ounces, the equivalent to a brick or kilo of cocaine. Thus, by using three nines and six tens, Kendrick found a set of numbers that contains his full birth year and an allusion to a brick of cocaine. So we've now reached an advanced calculus level of mathematics, but let's go even deeper because 36 was also the age of Pusha T at the time of My Name Is My Name's release, the album that Nostalgia appears on. This relates to the age and birth year motif of the song and Kendrick's equation. And it's clear that Push and its creative team understood this numerical relationship between his age and a brick of cocaine. The album's minimal cover art simply features a black barcode centered on a plain white background. As is the standard for barcodes, printed along its base are the numbers represented by the barcode. There are 12 numbers in total, and if you add these numbers up, you get 36. Along with Push's age, the implication is that the album itself is a brick, packaged and sold by a dope rhyme dealer. Wow, okay, so 36 also connects beyond Kendrick to incorporate Pusha himself too. But what if I told you this was only the beginning of this connection? Because let's take a look at Nostalgia's overall structure. The song is 3 minutes and 36 seconds long. Catch that? 3 minutes and 36 seconds. Structurally, the song contains no hook. Rather, it's divided into two halves, with the first half containing Push's extended verse and the second half containing Kendrick's extended verse. And the thing is, the song's two halves are exactly the same length. Kendrick enters the song exactly halfway through the track. And when I say exactly, I mean exactly. We hear his voice precisely at 1 minute and 48 seconds, the to the second halfway point of the 3 minute and 36 second song. You wanna see a dead body? Instrumentals from my mama's Okay, so the song is divided perfectly in half. So what? Why is this significant? Well, if you count the measures or bars in each half, you realize that Push's half of the song contains exactly 36 bars, and Kendrick's half also contains exactly 36 bars, with 36 being the same number of ounces equivalent to a kilo of cocaine. Literally, every verse is a brick. Go figure, motherfucker, every verse is a brick. Your son don't nigga. After checking the figures like Kendrick asked us to, we now fully understand the monumental impact of this closing punchline, elevating Kendrick's verse into the territory of quantum physics-level complexity and dimension. For my money, with all things considered, it's one of the most impressive moments in hip-hop history. Now, no doubt some of you are wondering, is this all purposeful? Is it just a coincidence? Or is it all a part of a carefully calculated quantum physics level equation to show us the world Pusha T and Kendrick Lamar grew up in? That's of course for you to decide, but for me, it doesn't really matter. It is there, and it's just the final stroke of brilliance on the masterpiece that is Nostalgia, a certifiably dope track.
This episode was written and produced by me, Cole Kushner. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend about it or share it on social media and tag at Dissect Podcast. It would mean a lot. Audio editing by Kevin Pooler. Theme music by Bureaucratics.